0: You know, if I was to do a survey in here, just an informal survey, and I asked the question, "What areas of your life have you struggled with, or still struggle with the most?" Here, here's what I think we'd probably get some very common answers. People often say they struggle with their career. Either they're not in the place they want to work, their work is not fulfilling, or they're not getting paid as much as they should for their work. But there's all these these struggles that go with on the career. There might be some young mom in here that says, "No, no, I struggle with making my kids obey." Or maybe you're a parent of a of a grown child that says, I still struggle with my kids obeying the way I want them to obey. And so that parenting brings struggle. Um, probably you might even say, I struggle in relationships. You might look over the person next to you that's been married to you for several years going, I struggle with him or her. I wouldn't do that right now. That might not be the best thing for your health. But there's all these different struggles that we have. But I imagine there's one struggle that we all, all of us, if not many of us, if not all of us struggle with, but yet we don't want to say it out loud, especially in church. And the struggle that we have many times is prayer. And you don't want to say it out loud in church because if you do say it out loud, it makes you seem so unspiritual because prayer is the very foundation of what we are as followers of Jesus. So can I go ahead and break the ice right now and say this one? As your pastor, I still struggle with prayer. Okay. Now, not that I don't pray, but there's so many times that I lay down at the end of the night and I I put my head on the pillow going, God, I just want to talk to you. Just can just, can we just talk for 10 or 15 minutes before we go to sleep? And it lasts about 30 seconds. And that prayer is not very long I get up in the morning and I'm thinking, I'm trying to pray, but my mind's thinking about my plumbing at nine o'clock or what's going on tonight. And I can just see my mind just going. Am I the only one that struggles in prayer? Does anybody else here struggle in prayer? Okay, good, because I don't want you to feel alone in that one. In fact, as you know, there was a a study done, a research done recently, and they asked that question, how do you feel? Do you feel effective in your prayer? And only 2% of all people that were surveyed felt like they were good in their prayer life. The majority said that's the area they struggle the most. And so here's what we're going to do. If it's an area that we all struggle in the most, then it ought to be an area that we can look at God's word and try to find some help in. And so we're starting a brand new series this, this today, and it's called The Prophet. And the reason it's called The Prophet is there is an individual, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, that was a prayer warrior. Like if you're going to look for people through our scriptures going, here's, here's someone that can help me pray better because they seem so powerful in their prayer. It is this prophet, and it's the prophet Elijah. Elijah, the Bible says in James chapter 5, this is how it describes Elijah. It says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Now, I don't know about you, but if I could pray a prayer like that, I would feel a lot more successful. I'm just trying to get through the day, much less three and a half years of praying that it doesn't rain. But the Bible says for three and a half years, it didn't rain after Elijah prayed it. And then it says this, and then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and earth began to yield its crops. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be studying the life of Elijah. Now, some people say the Bible's boring. Like they don't read it because it's just, they don't find it even entertaining to read, much less spiritual to read. If you have never read the story of Elijah, it is one of the best stories that you could ever read. So it starts in, in Eli, or first Kings chapter 17. And someone challenge you over these next three weeks, as we're studying this together, go to first Kings chapter 17 and read three or four chapters there. It is an amazing, amazing story. But when you pull back just the drama of the story and you find out where God's in the middle of that story, it makes it even more powerful. But what we're looking for in our series, the prophet Elijah, man of prayer, is not the drama of the story, but we're looking for the power of the story. And that power is going to be found in the prayers that he prayed. And so if you have your Bibles, or we'll have it up on the screen, let me just read the first verse as we jump in the story about Elijah. And here says what it says in chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah was from Tishbe in Gilead, and he told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So let me set the scene for you. Here's Elijah the prophet. Now, in the Old Testament, prophets were those men, those women who were the voice of God. They didn't have the Bible like we have to read more about what God wants. And so the God's word or God's voice was often delivered by the prophet. And so the Bible lets us know that one day that Elijah the prophet walked into King Ahab. He was the king of all Israel, and he delivered this message to him. Now, you need to understand the context a little bit more to understand exactly what's taking place here. Not anybody and everybody could enter into the presence of the king. They had to be summoned by the king, and people do if they ever entered into the king's presence, they better bring good news and not bad news. Because oftentimes the kings were kind of these volatile type people, and if someone brought them bad news, they don't like the bad news, let's just kill the person, the bad news goes away. And so people always made sure they had smiles, they always make sure they had good news, they always want to play to the king's side, to make sure he enjoyed them, he liked them, and that's the type of news that he brought. But Elijah was a man who didn't live for the the king's approval, he lived for God's approval in his life. And so he walked into the king on this one particular day and said, King Ahab, I have a message from you from God. And of course, you can imagine all the people in the room kind of stood up straight and they're listening, they're looking at the king, they're looking at the prophet, and Elijah the prophet said, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve Kind of interesting that he says that right there. He made distinction the God that he serves. He was declaring who he was as a person, but I also believe at this moment in time, Elijah, as he delivered this message to the king, was also making a statement of who the king didn't serve. Let me say that again. While Elijah was declaring who he served, I served God, he was not declaring that Ahab served God. Let me kind of pause there for a second, and I want to give you some background to make sure you really understand where we are in the life and the nation of Israel. From the time that nation of Israel was formed by God as God's chosen people, God had always set aside that they should be a God-centered people. That they should be a people that were about work, they were about play, they were about family, but in everything, regardless if it was work, play, or whatever it was, their focus, God said, should always be on Him. Their decision making, their worship, whatever was going on in their life should always be God-centered. In fact, if you go back several hundred years before Elijah, when Moses was taking the the Israelites out of bondage from Egypt, God, through Moses, delivered a message to him. And this is, let me read this to you because it's really interesting as you compare that message from Moses hundred years later to the message of Elijah. But this is what Moses told the people when he was leading God's people out of Egypt. He said this in verse 10 of chapter 11, he said, for the land you're about to enter and take over is not the land of Egypt from which you came, where you planted your seed, you made your irrigation ditches with your foot as a vegetable garden. He says, rather in verse 11, the land you will soon take over is a land of hills and valleys. Look what it says there, with plenty of rain. And so as Moses was delivering this message to the children of Israel before Elijah and Ahab, he was saying this one, God has a contrast for you. You've been living a life of bondage. You've been living a life in Egypt, but it was a life that you had to kind of make things for your own. you were making brick for the houses. you were making all these things. But when it came to your own farms the own food that you would eat that would sustain you. He said in in Egypt, in bondage, you were having to dig the irrigation ditches and you were having to do all the work. You were having to collect the water to make things happen. But Moses said, God is about to take you into the promised land. And the promised land is going to be more than just this bountiful land of all this wonderful stuff. It is going to be a God-centered land. When we lead you out of bondage into freedom, When we take you from Egypt into the promised land, you're needing to refocus and recenter your life to be a God-centered life. And Moses said this, when that happens, you no longer have to dig ditches. You no no longer have to create your own irrigation. When that happens, God will send the rains from the heaven and he will take care of you. So it's a promise from God. But read a few more verses down in verse 16, and look what else Moses says about this. He says, but be careful. Don't let your heart ever be deceived so that you turn away from the Lord and you serve and worship other gods. In other words, Moses is saying, be careful, because if you ever turn from being God-centered to self-centered, you will have consequences. And he goes, here's your consequences in verse 17. If you do go from God-centered to other-centered, or from God-centered to self-centered, he says, if you do, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and look what it says, and he will shut up the sky, and he'll hold back the rain, and the ground will fail to produce its harvest. Then you will quickly die, and in that good land, the Lord has given you. So way before Elijah ever walked in the King Ahab's presence to deliver, there be no rain. He wasn't delivering his own thoughts. He wasn't delivering his own power. He wasn't delivering his own declaration into King King Ahab. He was walking in and he was really repeating and reminding and declaring what God had already said hundreds of years earlier. That if as a nation you become God self-centered as opposed to God-centered, God will shut the rains down. God will shut the skies and the land won't receive the, the moisture from it. God's intention for the Israelites back then, whether it's under Moses or King Ahab, God's intention for our life today is that we are God-centered people. And so we have to understand when, when Elijah walked into the presence of, of um, King Ahab, he was delivering God's words, not his words. He was delivering God's prayer and not his own prayer. To give you a little bit more context, if you don't know much about King Ahab, King King Ahab was definitely the, the, the king of all of Israel. But the best way to describe King Ahab in his religious life is that he was simply what I would refer to as a hat tipper to God. He would at the right time just kind of tip his hat to God to show his right respect, to show his right esteem, but he never tipped his life to God. He was all about his own self and his own kingdom and what he wanted to do. It was almost like he was religious on the outside, but not spiritual on the inside. And so King Ahab was not leading the nation of Israel to follow God wholeheartedly. And to make matters worse, King Ahab had married a woman and her name is Jezebel. You can read about this more as we get into the whole Kings for the next three weeks. But if Ahab, King Ahab was a hat tipper to God, just kind of, let me show you some religious on the outside, some religion on the outside. Jezebel was worse, much, much worse than that. If he was a hat tipper, she was a back turner. Like she had no desire for even people to think that she followed, loved, or worshiped the God Yahweh of the Old Testament. In fact, when he married Jezebel, she began to bring into the country her own gods. She was not a big G God, but the little G gods. And she had all these different gods for all these different things. And she began to influence the nation of Israel to follow these little gods as opposed to the big God of, of Israel. And a couple of the gods that she led people to follow were Baal and Asherah. Now, those two names may not mean a lot, but Baal is a very important God within this story because Baal was considered of the non God centered people as the rain or the God of rain. So, if they needed rain for their crops, if they need rain to drink from, they would pray to Baal to deliver the rain. So, you got to follow him here because I'm kind of putting the dots together so we can know the whole story as we start moving, moving through Kings. So, here's Elijah. He walks in the presence of King Ahab, and he delivers this prayer that he prayed, this declaration that he made that it wasn't going to rain for three and a half years. It wasn't like Elijah was walking and going, hey, I'm a prophet. Look how powerful I am. Look at the prayers. I I went to bed last night, and I was just thinking of all the, the horrible things that could happen to you. No, no. These weren't his own dreams, his own prayers. Elijah was doing nothing more than delivering the very voice of God to King Ahab. And so when he chose this idea, when he delivered this idea, when he communicated this idea that it didn't rain, that it wouldn't rain, all of a sudden Elijah was setting up a competition, a battle between his God and the God of Baal, who was also supposed to be in charge of the rain. It was like he walked in going, hey, King, I've got a message for you. But by the way, the lady sitting next to you that you call your wife Jezebel, I got a message for her too that she's prodding around all the country saying how good her gods are, Asherah and Baal and all these other gods, and she's trying to lead people that way. I got news for you, king. Those gods in the future aren't going to stand up to my God. And so he was setting the stage of this battle that we'll find out about and we'll read about in a couple more weeks. But when he delivered no rain verdict, here's what we have to understand. It was not his prayer. It was God's prayer. A lot of times people ask me, Keith, how do do we have more powerful prayers? How How do we have prayers like Elijah that we can pray that it won't rain? And here's the first way that we go towards having more powerful prayers. And if you're taking notes, it's the first one in your outline there. Powerful prayers require our request to be God centered. Powerful prayers require our request to be God centered. That's where Elijah found himself. The reason, again, that he can say it's not going to rain for three and a half days, it was not his prayer, it was God's prayer. It was all what God wanted, not what he was dreaming of. And can we be honest? Probably one of the reasons that many of us have unanswered prayers well about you have got this list of prayers that I don't know if I can take anything to heaven, but I'm trying to slip that in my back pocket. When I go to heaven, I'm going, God, I prayed this. I prayed sincerely. I prayed for a long time. Why didn't you answer all these prayers, these things that I prayed for? And I'm afraid God's response might be or is currently. Keith, those are your prayers, not my prayers. Those are things that you want, not I want for you. John 10, 10 says this, Jesus said, I come to give you life and I give it to you more abundantly. I believe that all my life, God has good things he wants to give us. God wants us to enjoy life. God wants us to have a pleasurable life. But too many times my prayers about my pres- my pleasure and not his glory. And the reason they're never answered is because I'm so, so focused on me and I'm not focused on him. And so if we want to have powerful prayers, our prayer requires our request to be God-centered. But that brings another question to mind. Okay, God, I really want to have God-centered requests, but how do I get there? Like I've spent my whole life and I thought I was God-centered, but undoubtedly I'm not because these prayers aren't being answered. I don't have the power and the prayers that I want. How do we accomplish, how do we get to the point that we have God-centered prayers? And that takes us to our next point. And the next point says this, a powerful prayer requires our life to be God-centered. You see, we want God-centered prayer, so we'll get what we want, but our life's not where it needs to be in there. So then we have to ask the question, then how do we get a more God-centered life in our everyday life in that we live? Let me keep reading Elijah to you, about Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 2 through 6. After he delivers this this verdict to the king, the Bible's going to let us know that he just takes off running. Look what it says here in verse 2. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by the Carith brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. And so Elijah did as the Lord told him, and he camped beside Carith brook east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. So as soon as He tells the king, hey, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. He's a very smart man because if the king only wants good news, the king will kill whoever brings him bad news. And can we all agree that if it's not going to rain for three and a half years, that's some pretty bad news. So the Bible says that, and it doesn't use these words, but I think if we can interpret the words, he hightailed it out of there. He knew that wasn't the place we wanted to be. And God says, okay, this is where I want you to go, Elijah, to go camp out and hang out by Brook Carith. Now, we, we don't know much about where Brooke, or much about this specific brook, we kind of know where it is, but God just said, just go hang out there. I'm going to have some birds bring you some food you can drink from the water there from the brook and just hang out there until I'll tell you not to come. Here's why God led Elijah to the brook, it was for his protection, but more than that, it was for his growth. Because God has some things in store. He has some battles that, that Elijah's going to battle. He, he has some fights that he's going to fight. He's got a pathway that he's going to have him walk on. But he knew that Elijah had to have root, deep spiritual roots to be able to do those things. And yes, he delivered this verdict to the king. But God knew that his life had to be the most God-centered if he was going to continue to speak and live for, the, for, the, um, for God. And so he sends him to the brook Kareth, And it's during his season, and we find out later that we're not exactly how long. He didn't stay there the whole three and a half years, but there was a season that he stayed there. But God did some deep growing in his life. And he had the bird, the ravens bringing the food. He drank from the water. But while all that was going on, there was some internal spiritual growth taking place there. And his life became even more God-centered than what it was. And I believe you and I need a brook of Carith, a Carith Brook experience for our lives to grow the deep roots that Elijah did. Let me just point out three things to you. How do you have this God-centered life? How do you grow like he did by this Brook? Here's three things I think we can learn from his short time there. First of all, if we're going to have a God-centered life, we need to start obeying in the little things. If God says do it, then we do it. I don't know about you, but my life sometimes God says do it, then I just try to discuss it with him. God says do it then I try to negotiate with him a little bit you don't sense that Elijah did that God said go and Elijah went you and I need to start obeying God in the little things it's the little things that we grow deeper and deeper and deeper in so the Lord so Elijah did as the Lord said let me ask you a little accountability question here for just a second could your people closest to you, your spouses, your children, those that live around you, your friends, your community, could they or would they describe you as that way? And Eli- so Elijah did as the Lord said. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm thinking, could those closest to me actually say, so Keith did as the Lord said. But it's obeying in the small things. Here's the second thing. Not only do we not start obeying the little things, we stop complaining about the uncomfortable things. To stop complaining about the uncomfortable things. Let's back up for a second. The Lord tells Elijah to go by the brook Karith. Now, let me, let me explain some things just about this brook Karith. Again, we don't know exactly where it is, but we do know it's in a rough, just kind of jagged area of the earth. There was high mounds, high valleys. You could go for long stretches of just dry, desolate earth without really seeing anything someone said just think of driving through kansas that's kind of like it was at the brook karith where it was there but also we know this that there wasn't a lot of water sources in that area the only water that you could find in that area was these different brooks and brook karith was one of them and here's what you need to know about brooks they were great as long as it rained they didn't have their own natural water source they only collected water when it rained so let's back up in the story. God says, okay, Elijah, you just delivered this great verdict, this great message to the king. Now go to the brook of and I'm going to take care of you. Remember the message? It's not going to rain for three and a half years. And so Elijah had to know, okay, God, I'm following you in the little things. I'm obeying you when you tell me to, but what you're having me to obey is not going to be fun. Because if it's not going to rain for three and a half years, it's not going to be very long until there's no water for me to drink from. If there's no water for me to drink from, God, that's not going to be enjoyable. Like, God, can't you find maybe like some Motel 6 or something for me to stay at? Something's got some running water in there. Can't you give me something that's going to be a little bit more comfortable? I mean, God, don't you know that as you look across the nation of Israel, there's a lot of people not living for you. But God, didn't you notice I'm trying to live for you? So if I'm trying to live for you, can't you give me a little bit more convenience? You don't sense that at all in Elijah. You didn't sense one bit that he complained about the plans that God had him for. He simply said, Lord, I'll go. I may be okay in obedience, but I'm not very good about shutting my mouth at what I think about my obedience too many times. (laughs) I'll go, yes, Lord, but you're going to hear me fuss the whole time I'm going. But what was taking place for Elijah? Because his his prayer, he learned that his prayers were so powerful because he was praying God centered prayers. But what had made him even more powerful? His life was God centered behind the prayers. Can we just kind of just step on each other's toes for a second? I I don't often think because I don't want to think that my complaining leads me to be not God centered complaining is my right not my responsibility complaining is this this privilege i have but what we're learning from elijah complaining is ungodly complaining is not the way of the lord complaining leads me straight but makes me veer off into the lack of being a god-centered life but elijah knew that he had to stop that now here's the third thing his his God-centered life, one of the ways that we can look at our own life, that not only do we start obeying the little things, we stop complaining about the uncomfortable things, we also keep trusting despite the undesirable things. Let me say that again. We keep trusting despite the undesirable things. Now let's talk about this bird that's going to bring in the food, a raven. Would that not be the most glorious, amazing moment to be in? That God takes you someplace where there's no food, and the only way that you're fed is God brings this beautiful bird to bring you scraps of fresh bread made in somebody's oven, brings you some meat that someone just you see, snatched off the grill, and this beautiful, lovely bird is going to bring it to you and drop it in your hands. Doesn't that sound like a miraculous story? You're like, God, why couldn't I be in a story like that? Mm-mm. It wasn't like that at all. A raven was never considered a beautiful bird. In fact, a raven falls into some of those animals, if you look in the book of Leviticus, that God declares as unclean. And so God, in his declaring them unclean, had said back in Leviticus, don't have anything to do with them. So isn't it ironic that God says, Elijah, I'm going to take care of you, but I'm going to take care of you with a bird, a dirty bird, of something that everyone in your own religious sect thinks is unclean? Now, here's why that's so important. Because I think sometimes God is growing us, but we're so busy complaining about how He's growing us that we declare what He's using to grow us as unclean. We're like, God, no, no, I can't touch this. I can't be around this. God, this is not good. This is not good. And God's going, the very thing that you declare is ungood. I'm declaring is godly because I'm going to use it to make who you I want you to be in your life. Before coming here, in my 30 years of ministry, I one time had a boss. So if you're at ministry, your boss is a pastor, right? This pastor was the biggest dirty bird of my life, okay? There was times I thought, I know you have preacher beside your name, and I know you've been to seminary, but do you even know God? He was just harsh. He was hard. He was almost just, just vindictive at times. It's just like it was hard to work for him. And so there's times I'm like, God, get me out of here. Get me out of here. And I prayed that for many, many times. God, this can't be your will because he's so ungodly. This can't be where you have me because it's so difficult. He's not leading a pastor like, he's not leading the church like a shepherd. He's leading the church like a dictator. It was just a really negative situation. And I'm, God, you can't be using this situation. And I know you can't be using him because he's so dirty bird in my life. So get me out of here so I can have a nice clean dove bring me food, not a black raven over here. And God kept saying to me, Keith, stay here. I got you here. And I finally read this story and I realized that God, through this individual, had placed a raven in my life, a dirty bird. That something that I want to declare is so unclean and ungodly, God is going, I'm using that to drive your spiritual roots even deeper. Because when you can't trust in your boss, guess who you got to trust in? You got to trust in me. When you can't trust in your job, when you can't trust in your finances, when you can't trust, namely you fill in the blank in there. When those areas seem so negative going, God, these can't be from you. God is going, I am using these things. They may not be me, but I'm using these things to grow you spiritually deep because I got things in front of you that you're not ready for. And if you don't let some of the dirty birds of your life drive you to trust me even more, then you won't be ready for some of the other things I have down the road in your life. I believe in this moment that this bird brings Elijah the food. Elijah has no idea about this big battle at Mount Carmel that he's going to experience down the road. But he's going, you're not ready for that yet, but i got to get you ready here. And so in our lives, we're so busy trying to fight things off and the undesirable things and declare them ungodly. But they're the very things God places in our life to drive our spiritual roots deeper and deeper and deeper. And so we have to keep trusting despite the undesirable things in our life, the desirable things called jobs, undesirable things called family, undesirable things called neighbors, undesirable things fill in the blank again there. But God is placing those in us so we can trust him more and more and more. I think about today, it's, it's, it's almost humorous today. Okay, I mentioned it earlier, Stuart's sick, so then Mark is supposed to lead us. Mark is supposed to lead us, and so then Jerry steps up. Um, Grant was supposed to, or Grant's out of town today, so Randy, I call Randy this week, can you do this? Now, none of those are dirty birds, okay? Don't get me wrong here, okay? I'm, I'm thankful for all of them. <laughs> but there's this point, a few minutes before the service, I'm talking to Sean, going, Sean's going, yeah, we don't know who's going to be leading the second service um, service. And I'm going, God, and there's this moment of panic that comes in me. And I just said, Sean, help me here. I know I'm the pastor. Should I be panicking right now? And Sean goes, let's not panic until about two minutes before the service. Then we'll panic if we don't have somebody. But I could go home today going, what a mess today was. We didn't have this person here. This person wasn't here. But here's what I believe. There's something going on bigger than who's up here leading. It's God teaching us. As leaders of the church as followers of Jesus to trust him that's a bigger picture than what I'm eating right now but we focus on our next meal more than we're focusing what God's doing inside of us and so this dirty bird this raven would bring this meal of bread and whatever else he could find and can we just all recognize this whatever else he could find was probably not very good You ever been driving down the road and seen roadkill over here and the birds eating? That's probably what Elijah had for dinner. I promise you that. He's not flying into the king's house going, hey, can I get a couple of that choice piece of meats to bring back to Elijah? He's grabbing whatever he can find. But whatever he can find was driving Elijah to know him better. And so how do you have powerful prayers as we start this journey of learning more about prayer, to pray prayers like Elijah, in the book of James says this, and Elijah was an ordinary man. That tells me he fits all of us, that God wants you and I to have the same ability, the same position to have powerful prayers just like Elijah. And we will, when our requests are God centered and our lives are God centered. I am totally excited about these next three weeks because, like I said, the, book, the story of Elijah found in 1 Kings is an amazing, amazing story. We're going to get into such drama that we may have to just take a couple of hours in church because the drama is so good. I don't want to shortchange and short tell it. But make sure you're reading along with me the story of Elijah found in 1 Kings chapter 17. And here's my hope and prayer, church. Just as in the last three series, we took a step together in community, my prayer is this, that during this series, God will lead us to take a step together in prayer. And that we would be known not only as a church that loves one another, but we will be known as a church that prays and follows God in everything that we do. A couple of ways we can do that. As you leave today, um, we actually have some books that that they're not about Elijah, they're not about the king or the whole story here, but it's a book about prayer. and And the book is called Praying Like Fools, Living Like Monks. I found this book about eight, nine months ago amazing, amazing book on prayer. Just a very simple, it doesn't overcomplicate it. It just puts it very simple, intimate form. And we have those books for sale. I would encourage you, grab you one. They're $15 a piece, but read that book along with the series. And I think God will use it to really teach us more about prayer. Now, if you don't like the pages and you want to go online, there's a QR code on your handout there that you can just zap there and and you can order one electronic or you can have it sent to your house. But I really hope all of us read that. And then here's the second thing we're going to do. I want to lead us as a church to do more than talk about prayer. I hope and my prayer is that we actually begin praying together. And so right to my left, many of you may know this, in that door right over there, we have our chapel. Everybody, anybody know about the chapel? Okay, it took me three months and I didn't know about it. I was here. So there may be many people that don't know anything about it. It is the most beautiful room I've ever seen in my life. It is full of stained glass windows. It is is one of the most peaceful rooms I've ever been in my life. And so two things we're going to do with that room. Um, Beginning next week, in between the two services, we're simply going to open it up for prayer. Now, it's always been open, but we've just never really, we never advertised it. But here's my prayer. If you finish your class or you come here early, just go take five minutes and just sit in there and just pray for the service. Just be alone with God in there. It will be an amazing experience. And the other thing, we've been doing this for several months, but I haven't really promoted it. Every Thursday from 11 to 12, there's several of us that meet right there in the chapel, and we just pray. Sometimes our prayers, we just sit in silence before God. Sometimes we voice prayers. It just takes different forms, but we're in there gathering together, going, God, as a church, we are interceding that we would be God-centered, god centered And so if your schedule allows it, I would love for you to begin joining us from 11 to 12 every Thursday. And we just meet right there in that chapel. But let's make that chapel more than a pretty room that's like a museum piece. Let's make it like an active gym where we're exercising together the power of prayer. In fact, one of the things we're going to do today, we're not going to start praying there at, during the services or after the services until next week. Because when we leave here in just a few minutes, we're going to open that up. And I'm going to invite you, especially those that have never been in there, just leave through those doors just to take in the beauty of it. And it's, like I said, such an amazing place that we can gather together and pray. And just ask God, would you be here with us in it? So, this next three weeks, we're going to be studying Elijah It's going to be an amazing journey of knowing a story in Scripture, but praying together. And I'm excited that we can go along with this together. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you hundreds, thousands of years ago, the story of Elijah, but it's relevant to us today. And so I am excited, God, that your word is going to be coming alive in our lives. And Father, I pray this that our prayers would be powerful, not for our own benefit, but for your glory. And so may you, you, Lord Jesus, teach us to have prayer-centered lives. May you teach us to have prayer-centered requests or power, just God-centered requests as well. And in that, we would give you the glory and the honor, and that's our prayer. So Jesus, be with us, and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.